The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded. My name is Jared Brook. I'm joined by uh, Anton Rosgard. Anton, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? Good. B- busy week. Uh, it, it, it's funny because th- there's two things that come to mind when I think about the, the week that we just had uh, in, in the NHL and, and specifically with the Montreal Canadiens is uh, the Indianapolis 500 has uh, basically their, their qualifying and, and session lasts a week and they call it speed week. And that's the one thing that keeps to mind when I think about having the draft and free agency in the same week. Uh, and the other thing that comes to mind is uh, I, I do watch uh, Big Brother from time to time, and they sometimes condense a whole week of, of Big Brother into one hour. And I feel like that's that's those two things are both uh, analogies that I think of when I think about this week because the NHL put it all together. And uh, because of that, we have a lot to talk about right now. Um, because we're going in order, I, I guess we'll start with the – I guess – this is probably the biggest news of the entire week and it happened before anything else kind of started. And that's the trade that Mark Bergeron made trading Max Domi to the Columbus Blue Jackets, as well as a third round pick for Josh Anderson. Uh, Afterwards they signed Josh Anderson to a contract extension, but I guess that's all part of the the trade. Uh, Your, your reaction to, to, I guess that move. I mean, the first reaction is basically that you look up Josh Anderson and his stats and everything like, I mean, it's been a steady progression until the 1920 season when he was suddenly limited due to injury and other factors, but still he only had one goal and three assists in 26 games. And when you see that from a trade perspective, at first I was thinking that, uh, I mean, the first reports that came out were that the Canadians got uh, another pick that they got the third round pick and then it was suddenly the uh, other way around and you were like okay so we gave up a former 72 point scorer um and a third round pick which is i mean it's a hit or miss really but with a third round pick but still for a guy who had four points last season but all right let's give him the benefit of the doubt because maybe domi had outrageous um outrageous demands for a new contract and he was basically the fourth line center at this point anyway uh, so maybe they will send jo- uh, sign josh anderson to a kind of prove it deal or whatever uh, one or two or three years at at a lower level of contract and then all of a sudden the contract broke loose and you're just like wow they really believe in this kid so for better or for worse, this is another signing. I mean, they obviously bought out Carl Alsner in the beginning of last week. This is another signing that will define Mark Bergevin's tenure with the team. And, I mean, I'm crossing my fingers that it will go well. Yeah. The, the, my first reaction when – I mean, there were rumors that this trade was going to happen for a while. So so the trade itself, 
it, it didn't really surprise me because I assumed that it was going to happen at one point. You know, the, the team has Max Domi and Jonathan Drouin. They basically, if Domi is a wing, and when you f- consider Philip Deneau, Nick Suzuki, Jesperi Kutkiniemi, they pretty much considered Max Domi a wing unless you put him on the fourth line like they did uh, at the beginning of the playoffs, which obviously didn't work very well. So you knew he was a wing. He plays a similar style to Drouin. He's a free agent. He's going to want to get paid like a top six center. So you kind of figured, okay, something's got to give. And Mark Bergevin has said a lot of times that he wants to improve his top six, get bigger. And Josh Anderson has been rumored uh, since the trade deadline, basically, if not before that. So it didn't surprise me. Yeah, but like you said, the seven, the first thing I saw when I when I got the alert uh, from the Canadians announcement was seven years. And I'm like, oh, seven years is a long time. Yeah. Uh, and... And then you hear the the cap hit of of five point five million, and for for the most part, when it comes to forwards on the Montreal Canadiens, it, there, there's a warped perspective uh, of how much forwards make because obviously Brendan Gallagher is the, the the guy who is has been probably the top forward for Montreal since he signed his contract extension. You know, obviously Max Pacioretty is is in that conversation as well. Uh, but he's he was already traded already, obviously, and he makes three point seven five million. And you know, then they acquire Thomas Tatar, who is making four point eight on Montreal's cap, but he has salary retained by Vegas. And when they signed Jonathan Drouin to his contract, uh, also I think you know a day or so after acquiring him for uh, Mikhail Sergachev, you know that five point five number was big. And so this one is is similar to that, and obviously, like you know, seven years. It's long, but the alternative. It seemed like Josh Anderson was really give me one year, and I'll go to free agency, or give me seven years. Yeah. And and Mark Bergevin decided to go seven years, and you know, you can talk about the injury so injured shoulder. You can talk about a, a lot of the things. What sticks out to me is that Mark Bergevin has tried to acquire a player like Josh Anderson since he took over as general manager of the Canadians. And, you know, when you get a guy like that and you can sign him to a, a contract and you believe that he's healthy, you believe in him, then it doesn't really make that much difference because let's face it, in, in three or four years, 5.5 million is going to seem like 3.7 million does now. Like The cap is going to go up most likely. And, you know, he has a limited no trade clause, which is really just tell me where you don't no. want to go yeah. And, yeah. and we'll trade you anywhere else. Uh, you know, especially in the last couple of years of that contract, the last uh, three last three seasons of that contract, um, he can only submit a five-team no trade list, which basically, if you include Seattle in the league, which they will be at that time, it means that they can trade him to 27 teams or 26 teams, I guess, because I'm not counting Montreal. So mm-hmm. they can turn to 26 teams. It, I mean, it doesn't really limit your options that much. It basically means where do you not want to go? And obviously the jokes are Edmonton, you know, Buffalo, Winnipeg mm-hmm. maybe. Um, but, you know, a lot, a lot of things can change. All of the teams where Taylor Hall has played. Yeah, ex- exactly. Well, I, I, I doubt that Taylor Hall will still be there in 2024, but who knows? Yeah. Uh, he, he signed a one-year contract. But, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people are going to be skeptical of this because – you know, they're skeptical of everything that Mark Bergevin does. And, and that's just the reality of the situation. He's been here a long time, and the team has not really had much on-ice success. 
They made it to the third round of playoffs once uh, or twice, actually. No, no, once in his tenure. Uh, the last time was was before he got on board in 2010. So it, it, there's a lot of people who are skeptical. And eventually, you know, I've been saying, yes, the rebuild is going well, but eventually you need results on the ice. And there's going to be a lot of people who look at this team and say he didn't really do much. And, and you know, I think it was two podcasts ago, uh, not the last one where we talked about the draft, the one before that, uh, we had Julian and Scott on. And I said that if Mark Bergevin does not do anything, it, this offseason is a failure. And he did something. And a lot of people are going to say they, you know, they wanted more, they expected more. But if you look at what he's done since the end of, of the postseason, he got, uh, he got Jake Allen to back up Gary Price. He got Joel Edmondson to, to, to fill out the, the defense, probably play top four minutes at the beginning. And he got Josh Anderson to play top six minutes on right wing. And for that, he gave up uh, a, a low draft pick for, uh, for Allen, a low uh, fifth round pick for Edmondson, and he gave up Domi, who didn't really fill it in, and a third round pick for Anderson. And so you, you look at that, and he hasn't really taken away from his roster. You know, the guys that they lost, you know, Dale Weiss, uh, you know, Charles Houdon, uh just a little bit before recording this on Monday, uh, is rumored to be going to the, to the Swiss League, hasn't really lost much from his roster, and is now uh, adding adding pieces. Because when you look at the end of last season, Max Domi didn't really have uh, a place to fit in. He didn't have a very good postseason. And, you know, he's on a prove-it two-year deal in Columbus before he goes to unrestricted free agency. So, you know, a lot of people are going to say, oh, this team didn't really improve from the team that was in the playoffs. But if you look at this team from the team that started the 2019-2020 season, there is a, a lot of um, improvement. Not the least of which is the development of, of Nick Suzuki and Yasperi Kutkinyemi, which is what made Domi expendable. And, and you mentioned the 72 points. Well, how I feel about Domi in 72 points, he, he's not a 72-point scorer. He's a guy who scored 72 points in a season. He's basically uh, William Carlson in disguise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's ironic because uh, Vegas, uh, sorry, Columbus just gave William Carlson away yeah. to, uh, to Vegas. Yeah. Ironically, to protect in part Josh Anderson yeah. uh, from the expansion draft. Uh, obviously, uh, um, Jonas Corposalo is also involved in that, and you know there are a lot of guys that are available. But yeah, it, for me, people are going to wonder about this trade until Josh Anderson plays hockey. And quite frankly, Frank, quite frankly, we don't know when Josh Anderson will play hockey because we don't know when the NHL will play hockey. It's listed as January first. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, it's. I, I don't think it was a bad trade. Um, I like the process. I like the thinking. I think the contract is okay, but that doesn't mean it'll end up okay. And a lot of that will go to how Josh Anderson plays, whether he can stay healthy, and how the team does uh, with him uh, as well. Yeah, obviously. And also, like a lot of people uh, have been crying out for for more size, uh, thinking that the Canadians are too small to compete, especially coming into to playoff rounds, especially coming into uh, facing Broad Street Bullies <laughs> in Philadelphia. Um, yeah. Now they have more size. Edmondson um, is is a big defenseman. Uh, he's not very productive offensively, but I mean, at least he produces size. Josh Anderson is big as well. Um, and as Mark Bergevin said, because obviously from the start, I was kind of hesitant about this move. I thought they maybe could have gotten more for Max Domi. Um, I also thought that maybe 
3.54 years for Edmondson was a bit over the top, considering he's more third pairing defenseman. Uh, but then when you look at what Bergevin says, like about Josh Anderson, that if um, this kind of this kind of player, I mean, there are, there are a handful of types like Josh Anderson in the league who are that uh, quick and that big and can produce both goals and and physicality and that actually makes sense because obviously you have either one or the other normally and we know for a fact that mark bergman as you said has tried to bring in a big power forward kind of winger um for for many years uh we know that he offered milan lucic a better contract than he ended up uh, <laughs> yeah. uh getting from edmonton when he went there Thankfully, he didn't end up in Montreal. But yeah, that, that tells us something. Like, I mean, if you want this kind of player, um, you have to pay up. And if you didn't want to uh, to pay for him now, as you said, he he would have gone to unrestricted free agency next year, and that would have been a, a big pay raise one way or the other. It's funny because you know a free agent that a lot of people associate with with size and and scoring is a guy like Tyler Toffoli. Yeah, and Toffoli is is only about six foot, less than six feet. Anderson's looks at six three. So, you know, it's funny how um, you know, and you have some guys who are five eleven, and people say, "Oh, they're too small." Yeah. So it's funny how the size that five in the start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That first digit means a lot. But yeah, I, I think that you know, it's something I've said in the past about about the draft, and when you draft. You know, if you don't draft and say the top five, sometimes top ten, you you can't get size and skill. Obviously, you're you're trying to get both size and skill. That's the ideal. But a lot of times, you either have to go for skill, and maybe people who don't have the size, and that's what you know. Look up and down the Montreal Canadiens, you'll see a few guys like that, and then you have guys with size and then not much skill, and so you have to choose one or the or or the other. Obviously. The, the ideal is is the mix of the two. Uh, and I think that the way the NHL is going is it emphasizes, uh, emphasizes skill. Yeah. Uh, uh, not just with the Canadians, but but throughout the league. So when you get a guy who, you know, can score goals and skate and, you know, forecheck like Anderson does at his size, you know, they don't really come along and they don't get traded very often. And, uh, you know, they've, they've proven that it's very hard to draft them as well. So, yeah, I, like I said, no one's going to be – one over right now. The only the only thing that's going to win people over is is the results on the ice, and um, whenever we get there, that's that's what's going to happen. But I I do think that the Canadians have a better uh, a more balanced lineup yeah. with Josh Anderson Definitely. than than they did with Max Domi, and, and I think that's a major part of the trade, and that's what you have to look at. Uh, you know, will it work? Ho- you know, for, for for the Montreal Canadiens, hopefully, but. Yeah, I I, th- I don't mind the method, uh, but yeah, the, the results are what's going to decide whether this was a good move or not, uh, for better or for worse. And, and you know that that kind of is a nice transition into the first round of the draft yeah. because uh, the the first round of the draft, the, the Canadians you know picking sixteenth, there were rumors that they were looking to trade the pick. They were look you know maybe trading up, maybe trading down, and you know as the board starts going down. There, there were surprises for me in the order of the top 10, but the top 10 prospects went in the top yeah. 10 with, with the lone exception of maybe uh, Quinn and Askarov 
Um, those are two guys that, that maybe, you know, or maybe uh, you, you can put Askarov in the top 10. He ended up going 11th. But the top 11 went in the top yes. 11, um, if you want to extend it to that. And and so there wasn't much surprise like when the Canadians got Cole Caulfield, where uh, guys like Broberg, Sider, uh, started going really high in that in that top 10. And you're like, okay, one of these guys is going to drop. And it ended up being, you know, Peyton Krebs and uh, Caulfield who ended up dropping. And then uh, Soderstrom as well went went much higher than, than expected as well. And, and so this draft, you didn't really have that. You had, you know, Quinn maybe went higher than people expected. Rossi and, and Perfetti went a little bit lower than that people expected, but not anywhere close to where the Canadians um, are picking. And and there's going to be people who are like, oh, if they didn't beat the Penguins, they would have drafted one of those. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't care. I still don't care. I didn't care when they beat the Penguins. I still don't care now because, uh, you know, what they proved and, and getting that playoff experience, seeing what Nick Suzuki and his Perry Cut Kinyemi could do um, is, is worth, you know, the seven spots in the draft. And then as the draft is going on, they there's there's players who are still going. And the, the, the thing that surprised me is that they pretty much had the choice of, of everyone that we expected to be there with the exception of maybe Dylan Holloway, who, um, you know, I, I don't think that many of us were, were, were not, not, he wasn't highest on our list. He wasn't lowest either, but um, nope. then they ended up going That with, tells us something about him as well. I mean, he was a safe, safe <laughs> projection. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And he went a little bit higher than, than Montreal. And then it came down to, you know, what what Mark Bergman was looking for, and there were rumors that Keaton Gooley was going to be the pick, and that's that's the way that they ended up going. Yeah. Again, I, I don't necessarily, um, I don't see it as a safe pick. What, what I do see it as is just not. It, it's a a boring pick, but not in a bad no, way. It's, it's not flashy. It's not flashy, but yeah, exactly. Exactly, but it's always like that. I mean, I mean, you kind of, as a fan, you always want the shiny new toy to play with, right? So you want uh, something uh, that you can project your hopes onto. Um, as you said, like if Montreal lost against Pittsburgh, they would have had a ninth pick, hope uh, probably, and that would have resulted in a Rossi or a Perfetti. But at the same time, isn't it better to just find out what you already have on your roster, that you have two capable centermen who can project to take those top roles instead of having to wait another two or three years for a Perfetti or Rossi to develop? I mean, with the Kaden Gooley, like, I, I was totally on board with you that it felt like a, a safe... Uh, not a safe pick, but a boring pick at the time, and I wasn't I wasn't very thrilled about it. But then, when you start reading up on him and you hear what Bergevin and Timmons say about him, you start to think like, oh, they do have they do have a plan, and they really wanted this kid. And we come to that again. I mean, he can skate well. He is big. He's physical. I mean, he he probably won't be the most offensively gifted guy when it comes to the NHL. But then again. They didn't, I mean, a player like Shea Weber didn't project to be a first power play defenseman. And here we are now. So, I mean, he has a, a good a good slap shot and it will be interesting to follow him moving forward. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, in terms of Canadians uh, draft picks, what I see, and I'm going back a little bit uh, with this one, but I see it as like a, a Ryan McDonough type pick, right? Ryan McDonough is not flashy. 
He's he's not a someone who's traded to the Rangers. Yeah, he's someone who's someone who's traded. Yeah, it, well, yeah, that too. But if if you look at you know Ryan McDonough in his prime, he was a number one top pairing defenseman. You know, maybe number two, but a top pairing defenseman yeah. um, on the Rangers, who were a, a good team, uh, made the Stanley Cup final uh, at the expense of Carey Price and his knee, uh, but still made the Stanley Cup final. And you know, if I came to you in in ten years. And and Caden Gooley is a as a top pairing defenseman, you'd be like, okay, that was that was a good pick. So you know, it's if he's if he ends up being a top four defenseman, and all indications are that's what he you know is what he will be, then that's that's a good pick because you need players like that to win. Yeah. Uh, it's not it's not a guy who's going to score you know fifty goals. It's not someone who's going to you know put up numbers like like John Carlson or, or Roman Yossi necessarily, but he's he's a solid pick. A solid player, and even though it's not that exciting, it it's somebody that you need, right? It, it's it's a player that you'll. It's not like they're they're going up and, and picking a third line center. No, exactly. You know, it, it's it it's someone who's going to you know play uh, upwards of, of twenty minutes a night um, if he reaches his peak, and and that's that's a that's a solid a solid player. It's just not someone who's going to you know score um, score many goals and. You know, people who say, oh, but the Canadians need scoring, you know, no one they would have picked in that spot would be helping the team in two years. I mean, you you can, I mean, you can project all you want into a Dawson Mercer or Maverick Bork or a Hendricks Lapierre at that point, but there's a reason why they weren't picked ahead of 16 as well. I mean, they, they are far from finished finished projects. And, and Kaden Gulley, at least, it's very difficult to see um, to see him not making the NHL, and barring major injuries and all that, that can obviously, um, you know, just hinder uh, a talent's development. Otherwise, I mean, he f- feels like an NHL caliber prospect for for the upcoming years. Yeah, it's funny because you know when when you look at at the the draft and and, and things like that. You know, I said it when they drafted Isbury Kaniemi, and obviously he was a player who was lower down than than third when they picked them uh, because you had guys like Philip Zadina, you had guys like Quinn Hughes, Brady Kachuk. And, and I said at the time, and I, I still agree with that, and it's it's true for every draft, not just when you're picking in the top three. Mm-hmm. The only the only bad pick is one that doesn't work yeah, out. Of course. <laughs> right? You, you know, it, it doesn't matter what, what the pick looks like um, at the time. What what matter I mean, yes, it, it does in a way when you're evaluating, you know, what, what Trevor Timmons does and things like that. It does matter, but in the end, at the end of the day, if it works out, no one's going to be like, "Oh, you could have picked this guy instead," no. right? So the the only the only bad answer is a wrong answer. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, if if Keaton Gooley ends up being an NHL player, um, you know, there, there, it's, there's a possibility that a guy like you know Hendrix Lapierre or Mavic Bork end up being, you know, the next, you know, even better in Alexi Lafreniere. It, it's possible, yeah. but you know, as long as Katie, Keaton Gooley is a solid player, people won't really focus on that as much, right? So the only wrong answer is one that that doesn't work out. And it's kind of easy to say that, but the truth is we don't know. <laughs> you know, just just because a lot, you know, just because these scouts and these scouting services don't like a player now doesn't mean he's not going to end up being a player. No, and and it's also it's also so difficult because these are young kids. I mean, they're 17 to 18 years old. There's still so much ahead of them of, of development, and now that a guy like Gouli is in the prospect system, obviously the Canadians will take care of him and try to develop 
develop both his assets and, and try to improve on, on his defects. And that is really when the work starts, because we have seen what he can be uh, as an unfinished prospect. Now he will start making the way to the to the NHL. And that is something that I think the Canadians have done a much better job with in the last few years, just developing players from unfinished projects in the pipeline to uh, NHL, AHL caliber assets. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's funny because there's there's so much to be, you know, people look at him and be like, oh, he's he's another McCarran. They're just picking him because he's big. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but but they couldn't be more dissimilar. Um, one of the first things that you see when when you read scouting reports on Keen Gooley is he's an elite skater or a very good skater, and I don't think that's ever been said about Michael McCarron, no. um, ever. So no. um, yeah, it's it's one of those things, and uh, it'll be interesting to watch. And and obviously uh, the rest of the draft, you know, with the two second round picks uh, going again for size and and skill, and Alex Tuck, and then uh, Jan Mishak. Luke, there's what I say, yeah, Alex. Alex Tuck, <laughs> yeah. I said, uh, okay, Luke Tuck, yeah. yeah. They, they can they can trade for Alex Tuck too. I wouldn't oh, mind that. Preferably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> of all the brothers of of players that they have, yeah. um, and they have a bunch, yeah. right? Between uh, Suzuki, uh, Guli, Guli's brother is uh, drafted yeah. as well. He plays in the NHL. Lindgren. L- yeah, Lindgren. Uh, of all the brothers, uh, I think that. You know, Tux is the the one that would would fit in right next to put him right next to, to Josh Anderson. Oh, that would be um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. At least I at least I got the family name or his brother's name right. Yeah, but yeah, it's obviously the the Flurries as well um, have have brothers in in the NHL as well, mm-hmm. or and as as NHL prospects. But it's it's funny to me because when when you look at this, it's it, you know the the draft. They have a. It's so different because they got a guy like Sean Farrell, who is not known for his size. <laughs> a little bit later in the draft, um, and then I'm, they get a guy like Alex. So just when you think the Canadians are, and after they picked um, Luke Tuck, I said to call him Alex again. Yeah. After they picked Luke Tuck, everyone's like, "Oh, the Canadians are just drafting big people now." <laughs> yeah. And then you know later in the draft, they they draft Sean Farrell, and you're like, "Oh, maybe maybe they're just going by their board." And doesn't that show us something as well? It feels like Trevor Timmons has more free range of picking now than he did during Mark Bergevin's early tenure when it was more concentrated <laughs> on just focusing on big people. Now it just feels like oh, we need to just fill up our prospect pool any way we can. <laughs> and I, I was obviously, I, I wrote the profile on Jan Mishak for uh, for uh, Eyes on the Price and I like I, I really liked him as a prospect. Like if the Canadians would have picked in the uh, like late first round or something, it would have been an intriguing guy. I liked him more than I liked John Jason Paterka, for example, who went early second round. They are kind of similar prospects in many ways. But I mean, it was great value. Felt like, especially right after Luke Tuck, who was obviously slotted further down on many draft boards, maybe third round prospect mm-hmm. or something, because obviously he's in the national development team for USA. So it's difficult to know how we stack up in just a regular environment. Uh, we don't know. Uh, I mean, he's still. I mean, he's still very raw. But Jan Mishak just feels he feels quite refined for an eighteen-year-old, and he has already played quite a lot in the extra league in Czech Republic and impressed a lot when he came to the OHL in Hamilton. So he will be interesting to follow moving forward. Especially in the later rounds, people are like looking at who's available and, and 
we we were doing it with the consensus rankings as well. Yeah, looking at people who are available and and, and looking at like, oh, why are they picking this guy? There's so many. There's guys ranked ahead of him. And then when it comes to to, to Misak, he's a guy who was the best player available in the consensus rankings at the time. So it's it, it's funny how how that works out. And, and you know, Trevor Timmons has said that he doesn't look at any other rankings and they just have their own list and that's how they go. And it, it's funny that like. At the same time as people saying, "Oh, they're just drafting people off the board; they're not really paying attention to," and then they end up doing this, you know, earlier in the draft, and people forget about that. But you know, it, it does. the The twenty thirteen draft, I think, was a turning point for Trevor Timmons and Mark Bergevin and the Canadians because Trevor Timmons has even said that Mark Bergevin gave him a mandate of size. Yeah. In the twenty thirteen draft, that's when they drafted Michael McCarron. They traded. Uh, they drafted Jacob De La Rose. Um, Zach Fukali was a pick as well. And, and Trevor Timmons likes to point out that the smallest player in the top two rounds they picked was Arturi Lekkanen. And he is the only one who has uh, made an impact at the NHL level out of those guys. So it, it's it, it, he he kind of says that with a smile and says, you know, yeah, we, we have to draft, draft for size. And the smallest guy is the guy who's in the NHL. And I think that that kind of flicked a switch in, in Mark Bergeron's head and was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to let Trevor do his thing. Yep. And and kind of sit back and obviously he's involved and this year even more so because GMs didn't have anything to do except for watch film and prospects and so he's a little bit more involved in, in that process but um, I do think that they they really did like Caden Gooley it wasn't just that they you know were looking at other players they you know even said that they thought he would go higher which you know they they seem to always say but I feel like when, when there's so many so few the defense who are available and there's Jake Sanderson and Jamie Drysdale. And then there was like a gap to Gooley and Schneider and, and that group. And Muhammadou. Yeah. And what happens is that the year before, right? You had guys reaching for guys like Sider and Broberg because in the top 10, there was only supposed to be um, a guy like Bowen Byram. Yeah. Right. And, and other teams were, were reaching for the next defense. You had Soderstrom and you, you figured maybe that would happen again this year. With, with guys like Gooley and, and, and things like that. And people are saying that's what the Canadians did. But no, I, I just think that they did like Gooley. And, you know, time will tell. And, you know, I, I think that the main thing is that we wanted something a little bit more, you know, exciting. We wanted to see goals and things like that in the highlight reel. Um, but I think Cole Caulfield spoiled us a little bit um, when it comes to, to, to drafting. And, and it'll be interesting to watch. And, yeah, you know, people can say whatever they want about the pick, you know, whether you like it or you don't like it. The only thing that's going to prove it right or wrong is, is what happens uh, into the draft. We also have this narrative, obviously, that Montreal doesn't go for Quebecois-born players or people from uh, or players from the queue, um, which Timmons obviously went out and just hammered uh, that uh, that notion uh, on on radio last week. And I just uh, it was interesting to hear uh, what he said when he was just because it sounded like the Canadians tried to try to uh, trade back up into um, mm-hmm. into the end of the first round to pick a player like yeah. Maverick Bork, for example, who was still available until pick 30. And that would have made a lot of sense. But as he said, since both Chicago and, and Montreal made the actual playoffs, all of a sudden they had picks yeah. 47 and 48 instead of being two picks in the 30s, which obviously they maybe mm-hmm. thought during, well, during spring and, and early summer. That would have obviously probably been been 
great. And then we would have had a completely different narrative and sit here with uh, two players, um, yeah, like Gouli on the on the one hand, who is the safe, not flashy uh, Western Hockey League pick, and then we would have a, a Q-born, flashy playmaker to to just be be happy about uh, but you can't please everyone and in the end the canadians held on to their picks didn't overpay for anyone and ended up making eight selections and and sending three picks forward until uh, 2021 so i'm happy with that yeah i, I think that the biggest coup that they did is they traded an early third round pick or mid uh early third round pick and he ended up getting a second round pick for it, mm-hmm. and and the net might be only a few spots. It was fifty, 50 uh, because it was fifty sixth. So it was still like late second, but they got a fourth round pick and Tampa's pick for next year. Yeah, yeah it, it, exactly. Yeah, so the, you know the, the pick is not going to be any later no. than it was. No, um, sure. It was later in the draft where they traded a they traded a fourth and they got a third or. They treat a fifth and they got a fourth. What was something happening? Yeah, like I think that? it was a fourth um, later in the draft. Yeah, but, it was ninety eighth for yeah, third. They, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I, I knew it happened. Yeah, sorry, I, I got mixed up there. But yeah, basically, um, you know that that's a good bit of business, right? E- even if the pick you you traded was, was it might only be an, a gain of you know three or four spots, um, give or take. But you know it, it's you know if you don't have anybody on your board. And you get a higher pick the year after. It's it's a good pick. But yeah, even the late second, but you know, what what you're talking about is when they were going and trading up. You, you saw teams, uh, you know, Calgary traded down a couple of times. They end up getting third round picks to move down two spots. Yeah. Right. So if you're telling a team that you're going to move down, you know, twenty spots, uh, a pick in the forties is not going to necessarily. You would have to. You would have had to trade probably both picks, uh, and you know that's if the team. Trading the pick would even want to do that, right? Because normally, if you trade down from say thirty or twenty nine, you don't necessarily want to trade down to forty seven. No, um, and and that's that's a challenge. And you know, you maybe you know thirty three, thirty four, you know, a few spots here and there because they're going to have a list of players that they want. And normally, that list is not going to be twenty picks wrong, you know, twenty picks long. So it, it's a challenge, and and it, it hinders you a little bit because. That the team that has the 29th pick might not want to wait 18 picks for pick 47, and and that's a challenge. But yeah, I don't subscribe to the bias of Quebec players one way or another. I think they have a list; they go down that list, and if the Quebec-born player is not at the top, they won't take the Quebec-born player. Yeah, and it's as simple as that. Um, you know, whether it turns out or it doesn't turn out, and there's examples of both. Um, you know, that's that's. Neither here or there. It's a draft, but yeah, it's. I I don't think that you pick a Quebecer just because he's from Quebec, um, and I don't think uh, you you avoid one just because he's from Quebec either. I, I think you just go down your board and that's it. I think that's what Teron Timmins does, and you know, not that I, I I want the transparency, but I I feel like you know if you know once you know he's no longer uh, working when he's retired. Uh, and Mark Bridgman's retired. I, I hope that you know they, you can get the you know like when classified documents from from like the military get like declassified. I would like to see these draft lists get declassified and, and just out in the open. I'm like, this is what Montreal's draft list looked like in in 2020. Um, it'll never happen, but I, I just wish it would. Um, that's just my my uh, curiosity that that's coming out there. But go, going forward, and, and the the last part of this crazy week was free agency. I may be dating myself, but just imagine right now, 
that the camera zooms in on me and everyone behind me is frozen into place while I talk to the audience directly, while everyone behind me is unaware. Imagine me as, as Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell, if you will. We had recorded a whole segment, me and Anton, on free agency, uh, about how Marc Bergevin was patient, about how he did his shopping early, and how, while there still were pieces out in free agency who hadn't signed contracts, that he was being careful with his limited cap space and roster construction and, and being calculated in that. Of course, uh, shortly after we finished recording, Tyler Toffoli had signed with the Canadians. So I tagged in Julian McKenzie, who uh, came on to the podcast. And the next segment, we'll talk about Tyler Toffoli and uh, the moves that Mark Bergman has made so far this offseason. Uh, th- this is where the podcast ended. Then the Canadians, about 20 minutes later, decided to sign Tyler Toffoli. And what that means is all hands on deck. So <laughs> this is Jared Book. I'm now joined by Julian McKenzie, who was called in as a uh, a closer to steal a baseball uh, term to uh, to help uh, react to the Tyler Toffoli tr- uh, free agent signing. Just hours after I said that uh, I didn't expect anything to happen. So, <laughs> Julian, how are you doing? You know, I'm 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 doing all right, and I'm kind of in the similar boat as yourself because last uh, week. I said that uh, I was actually telling this to a group of journalism students at Concordia who had invited me for a talk uh, and they were asking me about the Canadians and what they were going to do in the free agent market. And I just straight up told them, like, I don't expect them to do anything. I don't expect them to do too many crazy things. I think they might just fall in love with their roster and, and make the few changes they had already made. And I don't I wasn't sure that they were necessarily going to adequately address their need for scoring wingers. And that was about a week ago. And now they have Josh Anderson and Tyler Toffoli. So now Mark Bergevin, not only has he, uh, you know, fulfilled some of the needs for this team, he he got scoring up front, he got defensemen, he got a goaltender who could back up Carey Price. He's basically made a lot of people in Montreal look stupid. Like you have people like Brendan Kelly all of a sudden who are coming out the woodwork saying like, hey, I, I like what Mark Bergevin did. Like, if, I mean, I get it. There are people here who will look at look at pieces like like Taylor Hall and they'll be like, yo, why couldn't they get Taylor Hall? But Taylor Hall wanted to go to Buffalo. And I mean, at that point, if you want to go to Buffalo, that's on you. But right now, Mark Bergevin looks like a, he looks pretty good for these moves that he's made. Not to kind of jump ahead into what we're going to talk about, but I mean, like, come on, like this Tyler Toffoli thing. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised. And I think this is a good move on the part of the Canadians. Yeah, I, you know... It's funny because earlier in the podcast, in the first part with Anton, I said that everybody is skeptical when Mark Bergevin doesn't move. It, it just that's the way, that's where the fan base is right now. And the the funny thing is about that even it applies to when he does nothing, right? When Taylor Hall signed on on Sunday night, everyone's like, "Oh, Mark Bergevin didn't do anything. How dare he not do anything?" And and. And that leads us to this uh, Monday afternoon when he, uh, when the team announces that he signed Tyler Toffoli. I don't remember, and, and you know, it could. In the last five years, has there been a move where 
everybody in the hockey community thought that Mark Bergevin did a good job. And that includes the Montreal Canadiens fan base, and that includes the NHL uh, community as a whole. And I feel like every time Mark Bergevin does something, it's about a 50-50 split at best. <laughs> Maybe 75-25. And I feel like this move, that the Foley signing, the like you said, fits a need. The, the term was right. The price was right. And I just feel like this is a move where everybody thought, you know what? Good yeah. job, Mark Bergevin. Even his harshest critics. And and you know you meant, you mentioned Brendan Kelly. That there's other people who I'm sure a lot of people are aware of that you know technically usually hate um, moves or or at least uh, stay on the side of negativity when it comes to instant reactions. And and I don't see that. I it's it's I don't remember the last time. And maybe you have a better memory than I do. I think you might have to go back yeah. to like the Philip the No trade or maybe even the Max Pacioretty trade. Maybe, but the. Even that, I don't know if that was as uh, universally uh, applauded by by people because there are questions about Tatar, there are questions about Suzuki at the time. Obviously, it worked out great. Same thing with the the, the no uh, trade with with Weiss and Fleischman. I, I think that one was just oh yeah, you know, they're rebuilding. They get a former first round pick, go for it. But I, I feel like this is the first like big move that everyone is just like, you know what, that was a good move by Mark Bergevin instantly because usually that doesn't happen. Yeah, uh, to to add with Max Pacioretty too, you have to remember as well, the Canadians had the asset they had at Max Pacioretty for a little longer than they might have should. They might have had to. Yeah. And people were wondering if the team might have depreciated that value for just holding on to him too long. So a lot of people just considered <laughs> the Canadians just lucky, the fact that they got Thomas Tatar and Nick Suzuki. Absolutely. You're yeah. not hearing anyone yeah. say the Canadians got lucky by, by getting Tyler Toffoli, but you're definitely hearing a lot of people say that this was – a good move and and now what i think the closest thing i've seen in terms of negativity on this trade it's not really negativity but a lot of people are just asking now uh and i'm sure we'll get into this but like what is the next move with this team in terms of dealing with uh the salaries and, and an extra forward right because they they have jordan wheel that's there who will mm-hmm. you know serve as like a, a very expensive healthy scratch and i say that as someone who, who as as a player who he is Making 1.4 million for this year, it's not too expensive. But for a guy sitting on the bench uh, or sitting up in the in the press box, uh, you don't want him doing that too often at the price that he's making. Uh, how does does he get offloaded? Does a guy like you all Armia, he was good, likely going to be playing a lot of fourth line minutes if he stays in this lineup, is he getting moved on? Uh, Paul Byron was another option. He costs a little more than those guys. He's a more flexible forward, who could, more flexible winger, I should say, who is able to play up and down the lineup. He's at $3.4 million. Is he another guy who has to make way here? Because remember, the Canadians don't have that much cap space heading into next season. Uh, but it, it's it's very curious. To, I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with those guys now because it seems as if on the wing – Mostly on the right side, especially like they they have pieces there. They have depth, you know, with with Anderson and, and Toffoli probably playing either on the second or the third line. However, they organize it. Uh, they've definitely upgraded that side of the ice, and now it's on the Canadians to you know relieve themselves a little bit, and maybe they have to part with a forward, but maybe you get a draft pick out of it depending on who you send out. But I don't know. Just look at the forward core, and you're thinking. Okay, this isn't so bad. The last time, Jared, you and I were on a podcast together, uh, I mentioned the fact that the Canadians were were making moves and they, you know, it was good that they were able to get Joel Edmondson. Uh, it was good they were able to get J- uh, Jake Allen. 
Uh, now, thanks to the moves with Anderson to Foley, I'm much more confident today than I was earlier on in this offseason to say that the Montreal Canadiens are a playoff team. I know you've been on that road, but now I'm willing to say the Canadians should be a playoff team. Not better than Tampa or Boston or anything like that, but this is a team that we, we, we shouldn't be talking about this team if there's a season next year about them losing four times to the Detroit Red Wings. This team should be fighting, if not already in a playoff spot with a few games left to play. Yeah, and it's funny because, again, on the, on, on the podcast earlier, I said Mark Bergevin has done his job, and that was before Toffoli signing. Uh, I, I felt that he, he did enough to you know, insulate his, his players, and, and the Toffoli signing is just icing on the cake for me. Because, you know, in, in a way, Toffoli is mm-hmm. kind of Josh Anderson insurance, and, and, not, and not only Josh Anderson insurance, because, you know, they don't have to, they're not one or the other. It, it can very obviously be both. Uh, and there's no problem having, you know, uh, doing quick math about $11 million or $12 million uh, given to your top three right wings, and I'm including Brendan Gallagher in that, obviously. You know, it, there's no problem having Toffoli on a, on a third line or, you know, Anderson on a third line, whatever way you want to figure out those those three in order. So, in a way, you know, the biggest issue, the biggest issue with the Canadians in, in 1920 is that, sorry, 2019, 2020. Oh, no, I not understood, the 1920 I understood what you're Yeah, I, I, know, I, I, just, I just felt like, that could be taken out of context. I know that most people would understand what I was saying, uh, but I don't want people to think like, hey, where's my Jack LaViolette talk? Hey, you know, what, we're um, back in the days of the first Spanish oil. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that, you know, the big issue with the Canadians last season was that once Jonathan Drouin and Paul Byron got hurt, they had nobody in line to replace mm-hmm. them. And, and that led to their downfall. And I think that now, not only do you have, you know, step forwards from Suzuki and Kotkaniemi, and whether they can do that for an 82-game season, there's lots of ifs there still, yes. But you're talking about, you know, two, your number two and number three centers. I, I'm confident that at least one of them will have a better season than they did a year ago, uh, and, and the other one will be able to, uh, to, to, to handle their own as well. But the thing is that if Josh Anderson gets hurt or if Brendan Gallagher gets hurt, you don't have to instantly put Yoel Armia, nothing against jo- Yoel Armia. He's, he's, a, he's a good player. Uh, he's probably better than a fourth liner on, on many teams. And when's the last time we, heard, we said that about anything to do with Canadians forwards? Mm-hmm. Uh, because usually it's the other way around, right? It's usually like, oh, Brendan Gallagher would not be a top six forward on any other team, which is ridiculous. But that's how Canadians fans talk about their players sometimes. Um, or are people outside the Canadians talk about their players? Uh, but, but at the same time, what happens is now they have, you know, replacements and flexibility and it just, it, it looks like a, a really good team right now. And we're not, we're not, we're, we don't, you don't have to stretch that far to see how this team will perform well, right? You don't have to stretch that far. And, and I know that I've been, more optimistic than most uh, throughout throughout this this process. Um, it, it's just how um, I, I I look at this team and I, I see the bright side more than, more than anything else. But the, the way I see it now is that yeah, he's done even more than he had to to make this team a playoff team. Because I think even if nothing else happened, he had done enough to improve this team to a point where 
he didn't have to do anything else. And now that he did something else, it's even better. And I think that there are question marks about going forward. I do think that a forward does get moved out. Um, there's still a bunch of you know bargains potentially out on the market. You know, if you want to trade, let's say a Paul Byron as an example, uh, you know, you can you can get a, a guy to replace him on in that fourth, you know, fourth third line bubble, depending how you feel about Arturi Lekkinen where you, you can get somebody like that, but for less than $3.4 million. Uh, you know, same thing with Yoel Army in 2.6. Uh, he's obviously, you know, a lot of people talk about Dano, Gallagher, and Tatar uh, expiring contracts at the end of the season. Armia as well becomes an unrestricted free agent, right? So it's, Mark Bergevin has had sometimes to, to a fault uh, an eye on the future and the cap space that he has to save and the current team. And you and I talked about it before going on the uh, on the air and we're starting recording. The Canadians are now a cap team. They're, they're not going to have much cap space going into next season for the first time in, in a long time, maybe even the first time since, you know, the P.K. Subban, Bridge Deal, Scott Gomez, Brian Gionta days uh, that they're going into the season with, with limited cap space. And, and that just points where he's done a really good job of balancing the expiring contracts of Jake Allen um, and, and other guys like that with uh, long-term players that will fit into this team going forward, like uh, a Tyler Toffoli signed for four years, Josh Anderson signed for, for seven years. And it's really been a good offseason for Mark Bergman. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I know where you're coming from by saying that uh, he went above and beyond. I still think he he pretty much did everything he should have done for this team to be competitive. And I already listed it off in terms of things he did at all three uh, facets of, of this team. Uh, I think Mark Bergerman deserves credit for, for fulfilling his shopping list, you know, uh, because there's been a lot of years where he's just kind of thrown money at a few guys, a couple of guys to come in at the AHL level. And then it's like, okay, well, he didn't really address too many holes up front. Yeah. But this year now, uh, I think more than any other year uh, in, in following his tenure, he's addressed needs for this team. And it came after a, a unexpected postseason visit where they showed the NHL that, hey, you know, we have good pieces on this yeah. team. We can be a decent team. And Mark Bergevin recognized that and said, hey, you know what? This team says that they can be good. All right, let's give them the pieces to be a better team. So I think Mark Bergevin, I don't think he necessarily went above and beyond what he did. He did what was necessary. And now I look at this team and, I mean, I, I, I still think they might clear out another guy to, to make salary. But uh, maybe I'm wrong for thinking this, but this is the type of team you kind of build together just to think, okay, they could be pretty decent and they're like a star away from going over the top and being that team. Imagine if this team is competitive enough and they say, okay, we want to make a run for it this year at the cup. You know, depending on the salary they have, this is the team you you think, okay, well, you know what? You just you get a superstar somewhere or a really good or really good piece who could fit to to put you up front. And then the team the team could have a pretty good run. I don't know. I I I think this team has the makings of of a pretty good one, but I mean that all those other pieces could come down the line. Obviously, there's prospects in their system as well, but I think on the surface, at least, I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that this team is a playoff team, and wherever they go beyond that, like, I mean, that's on them. But I, 
I really think the Montreal Canadiens are going to be a playoff team with this roster this yeah, year. I'll, I'll take that one step further and say, if this current roster faced last season's Philadelphia Flyers, um, the Montreal Canadiens win that series. They make it much closer. Absolutely. It goes to seven. They, they don't get shut out twice, for sure. Absolutely they not. Don't get, they, don't, they definitely don't get shut out twice. Um, and, and, you know, the interesting thing to me, you mentioned the postseason experience. And, and yes, that helped Mark Bergevin, you know, maybe move the needle a little bit towards, hey, we need some help for the current roster. I wonder if, and, you know, Tyler Toffoli was, was in the Edmonton bubble. He was, you know, with the Canucks. I wonder if the Canadians don't have that postseason exposure. And, 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 and does Tyler Toffoli get interested in the Canadians? You know, no. if, if, yes, if your very cut Kenyemi doesn't have that postseason that he does, is Mark Bergman calling up Pat Brisson and being like, hey, uh, you know, we, 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 we see Tyler Toffoli playing next to yes, very cut Kenyemi, um, all season long. Is that, a, is that a interesting prospect for a player? I'm not so sure. And we talk about free agents signing in Montreal a lot. And usually because they don't. Here's a guy that most teams would have likely been interested in, right? He's, he's, if you take away Taylor Hall, he's likely the second best winger on the market. He's ahead of, probably ahead of Anthony Duclair. Um, I'm pretty confident in that. Um, but here's a guy where he's probably a top 10 unrestricted free agent in the class in, in terms of skaters. I don't want to get goalies involved because there are a lot of goalies available and, uh, and things like that. But yeah, I think that after Taylor Hall and Alex Petrangelo, Tyler Toffoli was, was in that second tier. I think it's pretty, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm over hyping him in, in that regard. And he saw, he chose to sign to Montreal. And and I think that that says a lot about what Mark Bergevin is building and what that postseason experience brought. You know, I don't know if these guys are are optimistic about the Canadians if they don't see what they did. Um, and yes, money talks, but it's not like he overpaid for Tyler no. Toffoli. Uh, if anything, it's a buyer's market out there, right? So it, it's it's interesting, you know, because Mark Bergevin waited out the market, <laughs> and he kind of hinted at it when he, when he talked about Taylor Hall. He said, we looked into Taylor Hall, but he's going to have to reduce his demands, and that's why he's still not signed yet. Um, and, and it's kind of similar to, um, to, you know, it was a saturated market, right? We, we, you know, my, Mike Hoffman is still out there. Uh, you know, we mentioned Anthony Duclair. They're, they're scoring wingers as well. And, and so teams are looking for, for bargains. And, and Mark Bergevin, um, he put the Canadians from – Playoff bubble to playoff team. Yeah, I, I think this week, uh, I really do think that. Um, and and it'll be interesting to see what he does more because I feel like he's finally figuring. I find I w- one thing you could say about Mark Bergevin is that he he didn't really know, maybe not know what this team was, or he was too conservative in his approach and and kept on kicking the can down the road. Right? It was always you know we have cat we have to look at twenty one twenty two. That's when all our guys are being free agents. We have to look at that offseason. And now he's looking at that offseason. He's like, okay, how can I surround those guys, the ones that we want to sign, like the Deneau or the Gallaghers or the Jeff Petrie, who he, he already re-signed. How do we surround those guys and position this team to take the next step? And I, that's what I was hoping he was doing. And that's what trading for Jake Allen, um, trading for and signing Joel Edmondson, that, that's, that showed us that he was looking at doing that already. 
And and this this you know the Josh Anderson trade and now signing to Foley just solidified that he was he's he's been very forward thinking and now it's finally coming to merging the two together and we talk a lot about windows right and the media brings up windows a lot about the Carey Price and Shea Weber windows uh, and now you could probably add Jeff Petrie to that right and now what he's doing is he's making moves the Andersons the Allens the Edmondsons the Tofolis to merge the now window with the Kotkaniemi, Suzuki, Caulfield window, Romanov window. And, and now you're starting to see those come together. And Mark Bergman has been consistent in saying that his goal is not to win the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, whether it's this year or next year. He wants to build the Canadians into a long-term playoff team, like you see in, in, in Boston and Tampa and uh, Washington. In, in markets like that. And now that you you can really see where that's going to happen, because this team is not just a team that has a top 10 prospect system in the NHL. It now has a legitimate actual roster as well. And and I think that it, it's, it's an exciting time. It really is. We don't know when the season's going to start, but I'm sure that uh, a lot of fans are, are really excited to see this team take the edge. Yeah, man. And uh, I... I mean, I don't know when we're going to see a new season. I hope we still see one, uh, whether in the new year or sooner or later. But I don't know. I just – I don't necessarily think the Canadians are necessarily going to be a, like a top three team in their division. But I think they're a playoff team. It, it, it depends. I mean, Toronto has had good moves and bad moves, right? They they, they lost some people. They added some people. Uh they're going to be interesting. Uh, Boston lost Tory Krug. That's a huge loss. They added Craig Smith, but I think that they've probably gotten worse right now. They didn't sign um, uh, a really big name. Uh, they they have you know issues with the cap. Tampa Bay uh, just won a Stanley Cup, and I think that they're still a very good team, but they have questions about cap and and things like that. And you know you look around, and last year Montreal was the team that. Other teams around them got better. And now I think that there's a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference looking around and looking at Montreal as a team that got better. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think that, that you know, look at Columbus. Columbus uh, got a lot of catch space and they didn't get Taylor Hall. They didn't get Alex Petrangelo. Um, they, they didn't get Tyler Toffoli. Uh, maybe Anthony Duclair goes back to play the torts. Um, but I don't I mean, know about that. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so either, to be very clear. Uh, but, but you know, right now, I mean, they're, they're kind of in a tough spot, right? So they were a playoff team a year ago. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. But I, I think that, yeah, Montreal, you know, Pittsburgh obviously got worse. Um, I, I don't think the Rangers are necessarily a playoff team yet. The Devils are still kind of in, in – no man's land and Washington's going to be interesting. Like they always are. Carolina, Carolina kind of didn't really do much to improve either. Here's the thing though, man. Like you mentioned a lot of teams that are, you know, some teams they didn't make a lot of moves. Some teams they didn't really improve all that much. Like, like I think of a team like Boston, for example, who, you know, before all of the weird seat reseeding that had to happen with the, the round Robin tournament, they were the best team. Uh, in the Eastern Conference. And even if they lost Tori Krug, they still have the best line in hockey. Like, I still expect them to be a top three team in the Atlantic and a, a top three team in the Eastern Conference. Tampa Bay, with the subtractions they're likely going to have to make, I still expect yeah. them 
to be at the position that they were in uh, for mm-hmm. last year. Toronto, even with the roster that they have, they still have like a top five player in Austin Matthews <laughs> up front. Like those three teams, mm-hmm. I think, are, yeah. are, are going to be there in the Atlantic. The biggest difference for the Montreal Canadiens is I don't think Florida got better. And I, Florida was a team I was looking at last year. But I was thinking, okay, mm-hmm. maybe they might have the edge on them to, to, to make the playoffs. Buffalo Sabres got Taylor Hall now. Does Taylor – I mean, Taylor Hall's a heck of a player – I'm not. I'm not falling for the Buffalo I, thing I've again. Failed, I've fallen for it so many times. They, they've been. They've been the sexy playoff oh pick God. for ten like, years. I don't care anymore. Um, like, like at, at this point now, like I need to see the youth. Like, they, like I mean, Taylor Hall can only do so much on his own. That team needs to step up. Like, you know, not to turn this into a Buffalo Sabres podcast, but like Buffalo Sabres. <laughs> like, I don't know how you go through all these drafts, all these promise, all these promising players. Jack Eichel, like pretty much leading the way for you guys, and everyone is looking at you to be a playoff team, and you have underdelivered for the better part of a decade. Like even now, even though the the Buffalo Sabers added Taylor Hall, I don't think they're they're not better than the Montreal Canadiens right now. Absolutely not. I don't think I don't think so. No, so I, I don't think the Sabers no. are going to be able to make that jump unless they do something completely surprising. And even then, I see them fighting with the Montreal Canadiens for a wild card spot. The Ottawa Senators and the Detroit Red Wings. Same deal. They're not going to make the playoffs. The Metropolitan, with the way that with that division stacked, Washington, Philadelphia, Carolina, uh, Columbus, the Islanders, and stuff. Even if Pittsburgh might not have gotten better, they still have Crosby and Malkin. So you can never rule them out. And when it comes to the wild card picture, like I see the Canadians in that run. I see the Canadians in that dogfight with some of those teams fighting for a wild card spot, and I still see them there. Like I think they have a good enough team. To, to make the playoffs this year. I know some people are going to be worried about how some of the other teams stack up against them in the East, but I, I really think the Canadians are a playoff team this year. Yeah, I, I don't think that they have the team to, on paper especially, to go up against Tampa, Boston, Toronto. But, I mean, it was, what, two years ago that they finished, what was it, three points behind? Yeah, like they were a couple points. Or four points behind the Maple Leafs? Uh, the, the, year, the year they finished just out of playoffs, the, the Maple Leafs were like, right there with the Canadians and the last game kind of swung things a little bit closer, uh, which obviously was a meaningless game for both teams, but it's the, you know, the Maple Leafs are, didn't make the playoffs this year. And it's weird to say that, but Montreal did and Toronto didn't. And there's obviously a lot of factors that came into that. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that Montreal was a better team than Toronto with, because they, they, they probably weren't, but I, I do think that there's question marks there. And, and, you know, we mentioned I mentioned Boston having cap issues. They actually don't have cap issues. They have eleven million dollars to spend right now, and they only have four defensemen signed right now. Um, so obviously they're probably going to resign Chara. I, I think that that's probably something that's going to happen. Um, but they only have Charlie McAvoy, Brandon Carlo, John Moore, Connor Clifton, and Jeremy Lozon. Those are the five NHL defensemen signed right now. Now it suddenly makes sense why they were in for um, Ekman Larson in Arizona. And I don't think that's going to happen anymore because the, the deadline that he put in place. Uh, or oh, they also have Kevin Miller. Kevin Miller is signed as well. Um, I completely forgot about Oliver Ekman Larson. Like Oliver Ekman Larson and his contract situation and, and, and what it looked like with him kind of started at the beginning of all of the uh, post-Stanley Cup offseason madness. And then when 
everything else in free agency kind of happened and just kind of buried him. So I completely forgot that like, like dude is like, oh no, I'm gonna stay in Arizona. It was like, well, you know, just exactly. got blown over by everything else. No, exactly, and and Boston is still, but Boston still you know build pretty well. But yeah, I I do think that Montreal fits in well, uh, and like I said, it'll it'll be interesting. Uh, and there's obviously a lot of hurdles to go through between now and a potential January start or whatever happens. Uh, but but the Canadians are are a better team today than they were <laughs> even four hours ago when I last recorded this a phantom. Uh, Julian McKenzie, thank you for uh, getting the call up and and joining me to. Uh, update the podcast before it was already outdated before it even got released thank you for listening uh and always as always habsizeontheprize.com will have everything for you throughout this off season throughout next season uh basically until the end of time uh for all your news analysis and everything like that uh my name is jared buck julian mckenzie thank you for joining me anton rosgard thank you for joining me earlier on in the podcast thank you for listening stay safe and we'll see you next time on have some life You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.